G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. When our rights to freedom of thought, conscience and religion are being threatened, I imagine it's in the interest of every one of us as Australians to sit up and take notice. Well, at the recent Queensland State Labor Conference, the Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk announced that the Queensland Government is committed to a Human Rights Act modelled on the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act 2006. Well, having a human rights charter is for the protection that it offers to individual rights against authoritarian state incursion. But there appears to be lots of grey areas. Where the boundary lines are drawn can determine whether rights are actually preserved or whether they are in fact trampled upon. So let's try and get an understanding of what is happening in Queensland and what these human rights charters might mean to us all wherever we are around Australia. Mark Fowler is the chair of Clear International Australia. That's the body that unites state-based Christian lawyers' societies around Australia. He was also a member of the Queensland Law Society Human Rights Working Group and he's joining us. Hello, Mark. Welcome to 2020. Hi, Neil. Great to be with you. Well, Mark, this is uh, a uh, an issue that uh, I imagine is very complicated and uh, very much uh, full of legal arguments. And it can appear very com- confusing because there are state-based charters and there are also international charters, and they are, in fact, quite different. How do you see them? Yeah, look, um, okay. Look, it can, it can appear to the, initially to the outsider is somewhat complicated, but the basic principles are, you know, fairly readily accessible. Um, and I hope to be able to sort of explicate some of them today. But yeah, look, there is a, a, an international constellation of differing, uh, instruments, international agreements that Australia has signed up to, uh, at the Commonwealth or the national level. And what has happened is some states within the Australian Federation have adopted their own charters. And one of the things that, the, as you've just said, the Queensland government has proposed that they will also adopt a charter of human rights here in Queensland. So the question is, how will the rights that are protected under that proposed charter line up with our international obligations? Um, and I'm picking up on some mismatch that is happening between what Queensland, the Queensland government is saying it will adopt, which is a charter in the style of the current Victorian charter, and what our international obligations are under the, the relevant charter, which is the um, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Mark, if we were thinking if there are international charters, uh, one that is from the UN, our Commonwealth has signed up to it, why would we need other state charters? Does that question arise for you? Yes, of course, yes. So, look, the mere fact that we sign an international treaty doesn't make it obligatory or binding uh, within our country. So there has to be a specific enactment bringing into force the actual provisions of the charter. 
Okay, so it doesn't just the mere um, signing of the charter doesn't make it legally binding. Um, if it's ratified, courts can interpret local um, legislation in accordance with it. Um, but we do need to then take the other step of actually implementing it in law to make it binding here. So it doesn't automatically become our law just because we sign a treaty. Now, you spoke recently to the Queensland Parliamentary Inquiry into the Charter about some of the differences between necessary and reasonable limitations and some specific applications you were able to highlight about the right to freedom of thought and conscience and religion. Yes, okay. So, okay, one basic thing to say is that charters are about protecting human rights. And I think something that might be helpful to clarify for your listeners is we're not talking here about an American style of Bill of Rights where judges get the ability to strike down laws um, that are enacted by a parliament. Okay, so that's the American style. Um, and judges, you know, it's often criticised because it politicises the judiciary. The judiciary end up making decisions around policy matters and there are concerns about the loss of democratic power effectively through that. Now, that's so in Australia, what is being proposed is, is not that type of model. It's a model where all legislation should be interpreted in accordance with the principles that are in the charter that is adopted. Um, so judges have to interpret it if there's ever any doubt in an act. They have to interpret it in a way that the charter um, principles would apply to the particular circumstance. Um, and the act is also binding on members of the executive. So um, bureaucrats and departments are required to, in making their decisions, apply the charter. So that that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Just a point of clarification, first of all. And of course, you know, arguments are um, made that that is still a loss of democratic power out of the parliament because you've got judges, therefore, wading through legislation and applying policy principles. Um, and so there is a concern around um, democratic loss of power. Um, but so the issue is that we've been adopted in terms of the necessary and the reasonable limitations issue. So charters do two things at a very basic level. They protect citizens against other citizens breaching their rights. Um, that's a commonly understood type of right application. Another one is that they protect the citizen against the government or the state. And so the point I'm making is that where the state goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the citizen, under the international covenant, civil and political rights, the state can only impinge upon someone's human rights but certainly the right to freedom of thought, religion and conscience, if it is necessary for the state to do so. Now, the Victorian Charter of 2006, which Queensland Government are proposing to adopt, take that particular protection, which is that the state can only incur upon the rights of an individual if it's necessary, and turn it into the state can incur upon the rights of an individual if it's reasonable to do so. And so I'm pointing out there is a watering down there over time from the 1966 International Covenant to the 2006 Covenant, where now the state, instead of being required to demonstrate it's necessary to limit our rights, the state can limit our rights if it's reasonable. 
So in the in the parliamentary inquiry, I was asked, well, what does that mean in practice, um, with spe- uh, specific application to the right of freedom of religion? I gave some examples that we've already seen in courts around the world. Um, one was a Jewish man in a remote prison not able to access a kosher diet. Uh, another was uh, a Sikh man being required to remove his turban for identity photos. And another that's come up in the European Court of Human Rights is um, a nurse being required to remove the Christian cross um, from her neck, from around her neck. Um, they're the kind of the uh, contest between the state and the citizen we're talking about, where the citizen is claiming a religious freedom right. Now, if the state can limit that right where it's reasonable to do so, it's a much quicker limitation or easily accessed limitation than it is if the state can only do it where it's necessary to do so. Um, and so that's the issue. What we're actually dealing with then is a human rights charter that is watering down human rights, ironically. It seems to be, when we get to that word reasonable, it then comes to whoever wants to interpret that and what reasonable is. And with the rise of all sorts of, some might say, left-wing, and uh, where you've got anti-discrimination tribunals being established uh, in all sorts of ways, that word reasonable is being interpreted in all sorts of different ways. So I imagine that there are some uh, some real worries about how things are moving and what might happen, and particularly in the state of Queensland, with a human rights charter. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Mark Fowler is chair of Clear International Australia. That's the body that is uniting state-based Christian law societies around Australia. We'll continue our conversation about this very important issue in just a short while. We're taking a little time today and really having quite a legal conversation with Mark Fowler, who's the chair of Clear International Australia. That's the body that is uniting Christian law societies around Australia. And we're talking about some grey areas in human rights charters. We mentioned that in Queensland, the Queensland Premier's announced that the government is committed to a Human Rights Act modelled on the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act 2006. And that creates some issues. Uh, Mark Fowler, in our last segment, I mentioned uh, the idea of rising uh, numbers of anti-discrimination tribunals and the grey areas that come with the interpretation of what's reasonable. Are these sorts of things likely to grow in controversy in the in the times to come? Oh, look, um, um, yeah, and there's certain we're seeing quite a number of um, matters come before um, the tribunals and then on appeal um, uh, into the courts around issues of the the rights of the citizen. Uh, against the state. You're certainly seeing it internationally as well. There's a lot of uh, judgments that are coming out of the European Court of Human Rights that are dealing with religious freedom issues. Um, so, yeah, look, they are they are matters that are contentious, obviously, at times um, uh, in our modern society. But I, I did make the point in um, the parliamentary inquiry we've been discussing that in looking at this mismatch between the international covenants obligation that the state can only limit citizens' rights to the extent that it's necessary to do so and the watering down, allowing the state to limit it um, to the extent that it's reasonable to do so. When you apply that to religious freedom claims, there is something unique about the settler society 
and multicultural society that we are as Australians. Um, and it's something that, you know, a religious faith, and I think history speaks to this, religious faith has shown its propensity to be one of the strongest challenges, challenges to state power because the believer, the convicted, has an obligation that is beyond the bounds of the state's call upon one's life. And so, you know, you can source it back to the, um, you know, it was a progenitor of the, the Magna Carta, for example, religious conviction. It was the Archbishop um, Stephen Langton, whom the barons went to, to um, prosecute their case against King John. And that's why the first clause of the Magna Carta says, effectively, the English church shall be free. So it was a religious freedom claim back then. Um, you can see it, you know, throughout the course of history where these these perceived obligations, conscientious obligations, are beyond the bound of the state. And so I was making the point that in a multicultural society, we need our, I guess, the extent of our, the depth of our welcome to people from around the world is measured through this religious freedom claim that we should allow for um, only in the most extreme circumstances where that obligation might be limited. I imagine yeah. I imagine that when we're talking about an international charter and uh, the one we were discussing, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and there's some things in there, uh, the right to liberty of movement, the right mm. to privacy during court proceedings, the right mm. to hold opinions without interference, and the right to freedom of association. I imagine that when we start having state-based charters, uh, some of those issues that obviously sound pretty clear and pretty yes. good uh, yes. may actually be at risk if you start uh, debating what's reasonable. Correct. That's right. And um, that's right. So all of those rights that you just read through, um, importantly, including the right to freedom of association. So that's the ability to come together with like-minded individuals um, and aggregate around a similar concern. So one of the very you know, fundamental rights of um, our society and particularly an important vehicle against state power, that is protected by that necessary standard we were talking about. So the state can only infringe upon our right to associate together to the extent that it's necessary to do so. Um, and if we move it then to the extent that it's reasonable, that is a vastly weaker standard. Um, so it's not just religious freedom claims that we're talking about here. It's, it's you know, religious freedom is often associated with the, with the associational freedom, um, but they are distinct freedoms as well. So that affects the whole of society. Mark, if you're talking the comparison between what Queensland might be planning and what is already in place in Victoria, are there weaknesses that you can identify in the Victorian model uh, that you're saying should be rejected if Queensland is doing its own charter? Yes. So look, if Queensland is doing its own charter, I mean, this is one of the central concerns, that that... The state should not have the power, or any power it has, to limit our rights should reflect international agreement and, and what is binding upon us as a nation. So the interesting thing is that Article 50 of the International Covenant requires effectively our Commonwealth to ensure that these rights are protected. So if one of the states within the Commonwealth waters down one of those rights, it's the Commonwealth that is liable for an action um, on appeal, effectively, um, to the UN Human Rights Committee. Tell me about how you illustrate the dangers of change, because you pick up on an ancient 
philosophical story uh, called the ship of Theseus. Yes, yes. Explain to us the ship of Theseus. Right. So, okay. So that, that's found in some of the writings of Plutarch. Um, and so he was looking back to a prior time um, and writing in this ship of Theseus. And, and the myth goes that Theseus was the man who um, went over and defeated the, the Minotaur, um, who was the, the mythical creature with the bull's head, um, a man's body and a bull's head, who lived in um, the labyrinth. And it's said that, and so sorry, when Theseus returned in his boat, in order to preserve the memory of his conquering of this minotaur, the boat was um, effectively a heritage piece kept on the, the beach, and each time one of the planks of wood rotted or got you know, to the extent where it needed to be replaced, it was replaced. And so Plutarch asked the philosophical question, and it's a thought experiment, if you replace successively over time individual planks, one at a time, at what time does it no longer become the ship of Theseus? Once you've replaced the first plank, halfway along, or once the last of the original planks is replaced? And so I was drawing upon that um, that thought experiment to say that if you have a right that under international law protects action A and action B, but that right or a right by the same name is implemented in a state and it protects action A but not action B, the substance of the right has changed in such a way as to say we're no longer talking about the same right. And so where the Queensland Charter might say that we protect the right to religious freedom, it's not the same right as what's protected under the International Covenant. And I, I linked it back into the the um, Theseus um, defeating of the Minotaur is thought of as a bit of a symbol of Athens, democratic Athens, conquering the autocratic um, king of Minos when he ruled over Athens. And so the question then for the Queensland government, I pose in a, in a Spectator article I've recently written, is which one are you going to choose to represent, the autocratic Minotaur? or King of Minos, or the Athenian Theseus, the protector of liberty. And um, I'm offering that there is a choice between the Victorian current standard and the international covenant standard there. And it illustrates just how complicated it can be if you start to change elements of human rights charter law and uh, you might feel as though you are building on and improving a document where in actual fact you may actually be watering down uh, the rights that are protected in the original and that's the risky thing. I imagine that there's a real place, uh, Mark, for lawyers to come to the fore and to involve themselves in a whole lot of different areas where they may be able to contribute because uh, some of these sorts of issues, these are legal issues and there's a call there, I imagine, for Christian lawyers to become involved in some of the processes by which charters might be reviewed or undertaken in whatever states. Uh, I imagine there's a big calling on lawyers there. Yeah, there is, and, and there's been a lot of submissions made um, clear the charity that I chair as a, as a body um, that involves Christian lawyers, we've made a submission to the Queensland Parliament and I was, as I said, gave verbal submissions. So, yes, and there's been a number of other 
um, Christian academics as well in the practice of law that have made submissions around this process too. Uh, well, Mark, certainly thank you so much for clarifying a few of these things for us today. And uh, certainly as we look forward to 2017, uh, it could be a very important year for lawyers to be involved in some of the things that are shaping the laws that govern our society. Mark, the chair of Clear International Australia Limited, it's a charity, but it's the body that unites state-based Christian law societies around Australia. Mark, always appreciate your insights Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. A pleasure again, Neil. Thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.